Welcome to the Dollars and Dumbbells podcast. I'm your host, Justin Green, a certified financial planner who specializes in helping fitness entrepreneurs and millennials grow their net worth. The goal is to bring you conversations with successful individuals in the fitness industry on how they navigated their journey to success. Justin Green is the founder and financial planner at AssistFP, a financial planning firm. All opinions expressed in this show are solely those of Justin and not reflective of AssistFP. This podcast should not be considered advice. It is solely for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. Please consult with your financial advisor, tax, legal, and any other advisor you have before making any decisions regarding your financial plan. Welcome back to the show, Wealthy Coaches. Today, my guest is Corey Sterling, an attorney and founder of Conscious Counsel, a law firm designed to work with both online and brick and mortar health and fitness businesses. He shares great advice today on how to set up a solid legal foundation to protect you and your business. No one ever thinks that it will happen to them until it does, but the reality is is that owning a business does expose you to multiple risk and lawsuits are one of them. He will give you advice on the three documents to ensure that you have in your business to make sure your coaching business will be better protected. He also talks about the mischaracterization of employees between 1099 and W-2, which is a conversation that I've been having with a lot of coaches lately as well. Really quick, before we dive in, my number one goal with this podcast is to help coaches lead a wealthy life. If you enjoy the show, please screenshot the podcast and tag me on your Instagram story at JustinGreenFP so that more coaches just like yourself will tune in. All right, let's dive into my conversation with Corey Sterling. Corey, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Justin, thank you so much for having me, man. Let everyone know uh, who you are and where you're calling from. I, my name is Corey Sterling. I'm a, a lawyer. I started the online law firm Conscious Counsel. We work with fitness and health coaches and, and fitness professionals and yoga studios and Pilates studios and anything that's sort of heart leading in the health and fitness space is what we do. And I am calling in from Preya in Brazil, in the state of Ceará, which is the Northeast. And uh, I live here and I'm currently kite surfing for a season. So I decided to move the office here to kite surf. Oh, wow. Okay. So you're living there. I thought you were just on vacation. That's pretty cool. So the firm is based out of Canada though, right? And and you also work uh, with clients across the US? Yeah. Our, uh, the, the law firm is uh, has an, a registered office in British Columbia, Canada, but I would say 80 to 90% of our clients are in the United States and we have US attorneys who work for a law firm, Conscious Counsel. And uh, we actually have clients in over 20 countries around the world because uh, oh, wow. what, okay. what we found is, yeah, we found a, a lot of people are looking for uh, legal, you know, lawyers and, and legal practitioners who understand the specifics of being an online health coach, of being an online trainer, about running a, a yoga studio or running yoga retreats or anything related to that. So we see people seeking us out from all over, which is really cool. And how did you pick the uh, the health space? Like, how did you choose that to be your focus as a lawyer? I'm, I'm going to give you the answer that, you know, when you see people when they have an awesome dog and it's like, oh, how did you find your dog? And they're like, I didn't find the dog. The dog found me. And then like, there's that, ah, oh, 
that special moment where I'm like, that's the cheesiest answer. But um, the, the, the short answer is I chose this because I was working at a big law firm wearing a suit and tie, obviously not really who I am and what inspired me to start an online law firm. But um, I, was, uh, I was teaching group fitness. I was a yoga teacher. I started a yoga festival. And I just, all of my friends and everything socially I was doing were, were in these particular spaces. And it obviously aligns with me, like holistic medicine aligns with my values and who I am and how I want to live my life. So it's, I sort of just fell into it in the sense of like, I had all of this, this network of friends of yoga studio owners or, um, or personal trainers. And I realized that none of them knew anything about the law and there were no lawyers who were making any time to explain anything to them. So I sort of started in that particular way. And then on top of that, uh, my whole, my dream uh, five years ago when I started this was I wanted to travel the world and I wanted to go to different gyms and different CrossFit boxes and different yoga studios and different festivals. And I wanted it to be a business expense. And so that's part of what really prompted me to find international clients, to go out there to see what was going on globally in the industry and just to make my life my dream to some degree. That's awesome. And I, I can actually really resonate with the like wanting to go visit different gyms and have it be a business expense because whenever I go on vacation with my wife, uh, we did a trip a couple years ago to actually when we got engaged, we went out to um, Vegas and then we, we drove around and uh, went over to Arizona and Utah, etc. And like I made a point, we had to stop in St. George because Steve Cook's got a gym out there. And so I like to check out, you know, different gyms when I'm on the road. And part of when I launched the business was like, I don't want to go hit the golf course like most financial planners do with their clients. Like, no, no, no I don't want to do that. But I do want to drop into gyms or even like, you know, hop into a workout with an online coach that I work with and just let them kick my ass. Like, and then just record it. Right. So we can just, you know, laugh about how this bodybuilder uh, put a financial planner through a workout. And so, you know, I can definitely resonate with that. That's pretty cool. What were some of the... Um, like pain points that you were seeing that, that, that kind of gave you that light bulb of like, Oh, they need legal help as well. The, so firstly, Justin, I'm stoked to be, I'm stoked that we're connected and chatting because we're the exact same. Obviously we're, we're, we're doing different things, but finding a way to make your honeymoon or to stop in for a workout wherever you want and, and have that be part of your work. I, I love that, man. So that gets me stoked. Um, the, the, all of it started when I went to a yoga class and I had, it was my friend's yoga class. She was a new mother. She did not have practice insurance um, out of the studio. And she was doing a class in her sister's apartment building. And she was really popular. And like for her, the problem wasn't filling the class. But, the, but anyways, she was in between studios. So we're, no one signed a waiver of liability. Uh, insurance does not cover for practicing outside of a studio and someone shattered their wrist while doing a handstand in that class. And I went up to the Ugh. teacher afterwards and I was just like, whoa, like, do you realize the repercussions of this? That the person who shattered the wrist was a programmer. They couldn't, they weren't able to work. So the quantum of dance, like my, as a lawyer, my mind's just going there. And the, it just like went completely over the teacher's head. Like they had no idea of liability or what it could mean. And and then I found this as, as I've grown into working in different industries, in Pilates, uh, in, in personal training, in nutritional work, in health coaching, that I see a lot of these coaches are awesome at what they do, but they don't understand the legal issues or challenges that, that liability can present for them. So it, it really started with that. And then as I, as I sort of grew my practice and had more experience, I realized there really are like three essential agreements that 
any online coach would need. And if they're using them and those agreements are customized and specific to their business, they can really avoid like 99.9% .9 of the legal issues that will, that will present themselves in the course of that business. All right. So what three are they? So the, the first is the, the waiver of liability. And mm -hmm. this basically just means, okay, you're working with someone, especially if in the health coaching space, this is super important because a lot of the times you're not a you know, professional medical practitioner, but you're someone who got really lean. Maybe you got really lean and you know how to get fit. So you tell people to eat chicken breast and sweet potatoes and whatever it is. Um, but you, anytime you are facilitating an activity or giving advice to someone, you have, a, you have a responsibility to make sure they don't get injured or suffer damages. Mm -hmm. And if they do, you will be legally responsible by virtue of you being their coach or guiding them or giving them certain information. And, and the, anyone can sue anyone whenever they want. Like you don't need a reason to actually go to court and sue someone. And so you, what you want is the waiver of liability in place. And that's going to protect you from getting sued. And it says to someone, hey, before we work together, this is exactly what we're doing. These are the risks. These are the equipment that we're using. These are the, the injuries that you could suffer and the damages as a result. Before I allow you to work with me, you agree not to hold me legally responsible in exchange for me providing these services. And so that's like the, the big one to get down pat. The second is a privacy policy and a, and a social media disclaimer and a general disclaimer. Again, when we're working with practitioners who are quote unquote health coaches, a lot of the times they're doing things that you need a license to actually do. Right. So you, you'd need to be a dietitian to actually provide some of this advice or if you're doing anything related to blood work or uh, even if you're a personal trainer and you're coming up with a meal plan for someone. You a lot of the times you have to be a registered dietitian in order to technically in the eyes of the law be able to do that. So having a document up explaining what your qualifications are, what your qualifications are not, what you can do, what you cannot do, um, just so that there's no no one can say that they were misled or that they believe that you had certain qualifications that you don't. Um, and then privacy policy with that, privacy policy is just like any personal information you collect or facilitate the collection of. At law, you need to have an agreement for that. So that's usually for online stuff. And a, a mm -hmm. social media disclaimer is basically like a waiver for social media that says, cool, I'm gonna talk about A, B, and C and all of these things. Seek medical advice, you're doing it voluntarily, all like the boring legal stuff that we don't need to go into. And then the third agreement is a client service agreement. So this is you communicating expectations with your clients. This is when you're going to pay, no guarantees, no results, uh, excuse me, no guarantees, no refunds, um, rescheduling rules, all of that stuff. And, and the client service agreement helps you keep the money that you bring in, which is so important for business owners, but also it helps you discard problems very, very quickly. So if you have a client who's creating issues or problems for you, you can just refer to the agreement and be able to navigate any, any solution very, very quickly. That's awesome. That's really, really good advice. There's a couple of things I want to unpack there. One that's like really overlooked and you mentioned it um, is the whole, like you need to be a dietitian to give a meal plan. Um, I actually saw a post and I don't know how accurate it is. Maybe you can speak on it. I saw that it's actually like a felony in like four states. If you, if you do that without being um, a registered dietitian and then in pretty much all states, it's, it's not allowed. Um, I think there's a handful of states that maybe there's no, no law or rule around it. But um, I think a lot of lot online coaches don't know that that you actually can't give out meal plans. You can give like 
nutrition education, I guess, but you can't full on give a meal plan, right? Yeah, that's correct. And I, I can't speak to anything about like uh, specific states and what constitutes a felony for doing that or not. But A, I, I believe that that post makes a lot of sense to me. And B, this issue that we're touching on has really been the the success of, of my business in, in a lot of ways, because a lot of a lot of clients are not aware of this. And then there will be a problem and they'll get into trouble. And then I have to try to help them resolve that problem. And just so everyone knows, whenever it comes to resolving a legal issue, the first question is always going to be, what was the written agreement between the parties, right? So you're, you're not allowed to create meal plans. You're not allowed to make certain promises that people will get results from working with you. And, and I think most online coaches would be shocked if they, if they saw how scant the services they're actually able, legally, properly able to offer are and would be because it's, it's very small. It's online coaches work by virtue of exclusion. So in, in each state, there's not a piece of legislation for like an online fitness, you know, like there's no piece of legislation called like the online fitness coach bill that explains, oh, and online fitness coaches can do this, but they can't do that and, and all of these things. So it's, you have to look at, okay, what, what do dietitians do? What do doctors do? What do naturopaths do? What are all of these people allowed to do? And then as an online coach who got certified at whatever school, ABC, um, you're only allowed to do very specific things. But this is where the paperwork comes in and working with lawyers or a law firm that understands your practice, right? So as an example, when it comes to the food, it's all about optimal health. Like that's the buzzword that you want to have in your documents is that we're working together for optimal health and for you to feel wonderful. And it's, we're not treating anything. We're not curing anything. We're not diagnosing anything. I'm not making any promises about what's going to happen to you. Mm -hmm. And before you and I work together, you understand that I'm telling you, you have to go see a medical professional before you and I work together. And so long as the, the more of these things that you can have in your documents to help you, the more you'll be able to navigate through potential issues that would arise again, with ease and being able to demonstrate, well, hey, I actually never made any misrepresentation and I never told you I would do something I'm not allowed to do. What I told you was I could make recommendations that you can choose to accept. And if you do accept them, um, it, it can help lead to optimal health. I wanna unpack that a little bit more because sometimes I feel like, and I wanna hear your thoughts on it. It's like the agreement in the paper is obviously like one thing, but if you then go and diagnose people, even though the agreement says you're not doing that, like it's still going to get you in trouble, right? Like you have to actually abide by what the agreement says as well. Like, I just want to like put that out there. Cause I feel like sometimes people are like, Oh yeah, like it's all in the disclaimers, but then they just go do whatever they want anyways. Yeah. You, you have to be really careful. And, and a piece of advice I got about the law from one of my mentors when I was quite, when I was just starting and I was working in a big firm, he said, it doesn't matter what happens. It matters what you're able to prove. And so I, I want to echo first and foremost, that everyone should hundred percent should follow the rules. And if you have certain processes outlined in your documents, make sure that you're following what those processes are full stop. So don't, don't completely discard and be like, Oh, well you, because in, in the end, if your client can show a text message from you saying, hey, you know, okay, we're going to diagnose this. I'm going to get to the bottom of this. And this is what you have to do in all of the, and like any of those words are there. It doesn't matter what's written. It can, you, you'd show that you're, that you're acting out of scope. So 
it's, it's, it's a fine line to be honest. And I obviously a hundred percent, I always recommend my clients follow the agreements, follow what, what is written in the agreements and, and what needs to be followed. But the other thing that I'll just share, that's also important is that you have to be, you, you have to be careful about not only what is signed, but what you are, what you're doing and what sort of the, the paper trail of what you're doing is in the sense that like m- all of the issues that I resolve as a lawyer happen during the demand letter phase. So like, let's just walk through this. Okay. I'm an on and I'll, I can talk about experiences with my own clients. Online coach has a thriving business. It was an Argentinian guy, like killing it, tons of students, coaching, all of the things happening. Something comes in, someone suffers damages. They followed his advice. Now they can't get out of bed. They have concussion syndromes, all like everything, the kitchen sink, just throw it. Everything that you got that would come up. Now for me as a lawyer, I'm responding to a demand letter. So my client gets a letter that says, Hey, you know, you owe me $35,000. I paid X number of dollars for this premium course. I suffered these damages. These are the things that you're not allowed to do. For me as a lawyer, I'm always responding by looking through everything. So what does the signed agreement say? Did, did you, were, were you acting in scope of what you were allowed to be doing? Um, did the person follow the things that you told them to do? And what, what is the basis for the proof of anything that they're saying? So everything always comes down to like the everything together and the signed agreement between the parties will be one, but ultimately you, you just want to be really, really careful uh, about, about what, what story someone would be able to tell based on information they have. And, and just to sort of close this off really quickly, because this is the important point that I want to make when you receive as a lawyer, when I'm responding to a demand letter, I'm always looking for what, like, what is the evidence? What is the proof? What can we demonstrate? And if I'm able to show that my client has a strong legal position, I can respond authoritatively to that letter very quickly and be like, Hey, sorry, you're wrong. We told you about the risks. We're acting in scope of practice. The risk that we told you about materialized. I'm really sorry that you're injured, but you've, you've already relinquished your right to bring a legal action against us. That's when we've got good agreements and good support. When you don't have good agreements or good support, then it goes from a five minute email to paying a lawyer $10,000 plus making a $20,000 settlement fee offer. And it just gets worse from there. Yeah, it can get costly and expensive for sure. The um, you were talking about operating, you know, client service agreements. Actually, is what I meant to say. And um, one thing I was thinking about that is I've heard a lot of examples for online coaches who will use like a payment processor, and we'll use Stripe as an example because I've seen this actually happen. And if you have a client who wants to leave, and, and rather than them just being like, hey, I want to leave, they go and dispute it with their payment processor, like Stripe. Um, I've seen situations where coaches, they'll have those funds withheld and Stripe will basically like do an internal investigation, I guess. And the client service agreement is usually extremely helpful in resolving those disputes. Um, there's a lot of times that Stripe will side with the client and not the coach, but the ones where I notice that the coaches win those battles more often than not is because they have a really, really solid client service agreement that, that, um, clearly stated, you know, refund policies, what was going to be provided fees and et cetera. And so those are really important because that the the Stripe issue and it could be any other payment processor as well. I hear those all the time, like, oh, my funds are in limbo right now. It, it happens very frequently. 
It it does. For for me, the most I saw of it was like in the the second half of 2020, right after um, COVID had started, because so many people had online memberships and things like that, and were canceling. And they were, and you're you're absolutely right. I I find in my experience that Stripe or whatever the payment processor is, probably 80% they're going to they're going to favor the the purchase the person who completed the purchase. So not the coach, the the client of mm -hmm. the coach. And and I, I think I don't I don't really know why they do that, but it seems like they always have a position. And a lot of my work that I've been retained for has been to negotiate with Stripe, provide the example, appeal the decision all these sorts of things, but you're, you're absolutely right. And like one, one thing that's really important for coaches as well, when you're having a, a good service agreement that outlines the services that you're doing. And when it comes to payment processors is like, what I'll always tell them is in addition to just the coaching services, because there are a lot of consumer protection laws that will apply. If you're buying a package of 10 sessions for a hundred dollars each, so a thousand dollars. And let's say I say no refunds, whatever it is, and you've only used two of your 10 sessions, right? So at, at that point, there are consumer protection laws that will protect you because you have purchased something that you haven't used. And so for the coach, the coach is excited because like, well, I sold 10. This is awesome. I get this is going to be my money. Now I'm going to buy Instagram ads. I'm going to do whatever I want. But in reality, consumer protection laws say something different. So what I always say to coaches, and this is like when we draft our service agreements, is like, give them other things included like PDFs about, you know, stretching PDFs or I don't know, any, any sort of thing that can be a value add. And then the, the price that people are paying is not just for the, the coaching sessions and future coaching sessions, but it's also for other materials that have been included. So that if Stripe would say, okay, well, you know, and, and obviously you're right that all of it will, will be determined, most of it will be determined by the service agreement, but even within the service agreement, there's things that you can do. So say, okay, you paid a thousand dollars for, uh, you know, three different guides about stretching and eating and things to do in the sun for fun, for mental health, as an example, plus the coaching, you know, and 10 coaching packages and the price for all of this together is a thousand dollars. So you, you, there are certain ways that you can draft an agreement to help coaches protect themselves from that happening. And in the event that there's a dispute, be able to deal with it quickly. That's a really interesting point. I like that a lot. So it's, it's almost like, don't just price it out per session, add in more value in other areas. And then it kind of, I don't know, kind of just grays it. It makes it a little more gray. It's not as black and white, you know, $100 per session. But it's like, you know, I actually provided value that was included in this this upfront fee. And it wasn't just, you know, 10 sessions at $100. Exactly. And it's not, it doesn't make it gray. What it says is, it look, as a lawyer, it's about what is written in the agreement. So what's written in the agreement is you're paying $1,000, there's 10 sessions, and there's three eBooks that you're getting as well. So two months later, if someone's going to say, oh, I, I want a full refund or I want a refund for sessions unused. Okay, but, you know, what is the value of those eBooks? And you've already used them. And the period for uh, a refund, according to consumer protection laws, has already passed. So it's like it's 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 a fun it's a fun, interesting game being a lawyer for coaches and figuring out different ways to help protect them uh, and, and make sure that, you know, that their, their time is valued and that whoever signs the agreement needs to keep their word on it. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good tip for coaches listening to this to take away from that. Um, the um, I, I wanted to get your opinion as the money guy and, you know, giving a lot of tax advice on my end. You know, it's sometimes we feel like the Debbie Downers. 
And I feel like you could probably relate to that. You know, how do, how do you, how do you navigate that feeling of like when coaches come to you, it's like, you almost always have to give them the, well, here's the reality situation. And it's not as fun. And, but I know one of your taglines is kind of like law equals fun. And so I wanted to, I wanted to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, it's, what I've, what I've learned about operating my business is so much of it is framing. So whenever I'll give a talk, whenever I go give a talk at a conference or wherever, the first thing I'll start off is like, okay, anytime I say the word law, you say fun. Law. Mm. Fun. I'm waiting for you, Justin. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> fun. So now some people are like, oh, and then it's funny because after I speak, people are like, oh my God, that was so much fun. And I'm like, really? Was it? But okay, cool. That's great. Um, <laughs> And it's funny because I just had a I just had a call before we started this with a client who was like telling me, I'm telling you the laundry list of problems that you could have. And one of the things is that as a coach, they trained another coach to take their to take their program and work with their own clients in, in order for a, a percentage of it. Right. And so I was like, well, do you have a licensing agreement about the intellectual property you're letting the person use? And they're like, no. And, and it was just like every question that I was asking, she didn't have anything, but we were just laughing. I was like, this is, and she's like, why are you laughing? I'm like, I'm laughing because there's an amazing opportunity to rectify all of this and get you at best practices. So I think it's like, obviously no one likes dealing with these issues. Like um, two days ago, one of my clients is getting sued. They were running uh, a teacher training and someone got injured and I had a call, I had a call with them and I, I think you can find any situation to be, you can bring lightness to any situation. And I never frame it with my clients like, oh, like this is really going to suck. But instead, like I'm, I'm a passionate, excited guy. So I was like, cool, man, we've got an amazing opportunity here. You're going to learn how to get to best practices. I'm going to help protect you and your assets. And so like, this is, whoa, I'm, I'm actually having a really good time doing this. And when you, t- when you tell people what they can expect in working with you, they'll, they'll relay it back. That's awesome. That's really good advice because, you know, a lot of times I'm getting people who um, maybe didn't save for taxes and now they're getting hit with a massive tax bill. And so it's very similar in the sense of like, if you have a client coming to you, who's like, we'll just say like, you know, they're getting sued. So that's their first interaction with you is like, Ooh, really tough way to like start off the relationship because they are like backed into a corner. Um, but there's definitely an opportunity to be like, Hey, this is going to suck. But like, you know, here's the opportunity moving forward. So I really like that perspective. You mentioned it. And so I wanted to see if you, um, do you do a lot with like employment law? So like you talked about, uh, training a coach underneath you and I immediately went to like 1099 versus W2 employees. Do you do a lot with that or no? Yeah, for sure. Totally. Do you feel like, because this is a observation I see, because obviously there's there's big tax implications. I'm not a lawyer, but there's big tax implications to uh, making sure you do this correctly and understanding, you know, the the way it's written by the IRS. And I find that a lot of online coaches do it incorrectly. They um, they'll pay you as an independent contractor, but according to the law, they're actually um, treating them like W two employees. A hundred percent. And it's, it's not just with coaches, it's with studios, it's with gyms. Everybody loves independent contractors. Everybody wants everyone to be an independent contractor. And that's Mm -hmm. because it's cheaper and easier and simpler to set up, right? You don't need to get your accountant to enroll the the person and and pay all of the extra state taxes and, and all of the things. And I've been through, maybe I've been through four or five audits with, on the legal end, thank God, not on the accounting end, which I would just, yeah. 
for, for me, I, I don't know how I could make that fun, but uh, just working <laughs> with clients who are getting audited and I see how much money it costs them and how much time and effort it, it requires and how they're diverted from operating their business and feeling good and, and being stress-free. And so I, a conversation I recently had with a client who they understood that they had misclassified their workers. And so for me as a lawyer, my job is to put everything on the table. They're my client. My responsibility is to provide them with the appropriate information. And then I take guidance from them. And so I say, look, it's, it's part of that decision is risk tolerance. So like, Hey, what keeps you up at night? And are you the type of person who, if you need to do everything correctly and not, and doing one thing incorrectly is going to keep you up, then everyone's an employee. And let's just accept that right now and move forward. Um, and then other clients, I say like, look, it's, it's a risk. These are all the reasons why they would be deemed an employee and they're not a contractor. You know, you're controlling the way the services are performed. They're doing the same business as the core function of your business. Um, you're, they have to wear uniforms or using your materials. They don't get to make their own schedule, whatever it is, like all of the things that are, that are always present in that situation. And then I say, look, your, your choice is accept the, you can accept the risk on your own. And, and here's a horror story about an audit that I went through three weeks ago and you can decide or conversely, you can change the way the services are provided. And I find that it's, it'll always be that they'll either adapt all of them as employees, or I educate them on what a contractor actually is. And then we change the way the services are provided and we revise the contract agreement to reflect the new relationship. Yeah, that's perfect. And I'm glad you mentioned the contract agreement because that's what a lot of people uh, miss on that is that how you treat them is really, really important. But also, what does the agreement say? Like, what does the agreement say on how they're being treated? Because that the agreement alone might just have a bunch of red flags on, you know, if you're paying them as a contractor, a bunch of red flags in the agreement that's like, okay, this is an employee. Um, and so it's a, it's a big topic I've been discussing lately because there are a lot of tax implications on doing that uh, correctly or incorrectly. And one of the biggest risks, as you were talking about, you know, um, you know, understanding the risk tolerance is one of the big risks is the IRS can go back and say, okay, you mischaracterized uh, these employees. And so now you owe back taxes and payment penalties and interest. And it can really add up. And, and I, I talk about this on, on um, podcasts as well. It actually happened to my father when I was younger. He was, um, he was a house painter. So he'd go in, paint houses, and he had a crew. And he was really good at that. But he had like a ninth grade education. Um, so numbers, all that knew nothing. And, and he classified them as contractors and the IRS came and said, Ooh, uh, yeah, these are, these are actually employees and you owe all these back taxes on it. And it was like game over, like it's over, you know, cause he didn't have the cash to, to pay those taxes and, uh, business shut down and, and pretty much a dream was over from there. And so it's, it's a really important topic. And I think, you know, coaches need to understand the actual consequences that can happen because coaches can be highly profitable. They can make a lot of money, which means that if they're paying their, um, their assistant coaches incorrectly, um, those back taxes could add up pretty quickly. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. And thank you for sharing your, your father's story. That's like, that's very real. The first, the first time I ever went through it with a client, it was a yoga studio. They deemed to misclassify. Everyone was a contractor, even the front desk person who should never be a contractor. Um, and it was, I think it was $350,000 that they owed. And what they did was they wow. were a couple and they had, they were very lucky, but 
her, her parents mortgaged their house. Like they were already in retirement and they put a mortgage on, on the house to get the money so that, so that they could keep the studio open. But it's like, it's so real. And, um, and so what's written in the agreement is, is really important. Sort of going back to what I was saying about, uh, I think it was about service agreements and, and what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. It's you're, you're so right that having the, the, the written agreement is, is so important, but it's also really important to follow what you say in, in that, in that agreement. Um, in the contractor way. And so, um, and I'll just give you an example. Like the, the biggest obstacle that I face or like what I'm sort of on a mission against is like crappy templated copied agreements, right? Cause a lot of people will be like, oh, like if uh, they're independent contractors and I have them sign an agreement and I'll read the agreement and it'll be terrible. And like one thing, just so everyone who's listening, if you've got a pen and a piece of paper, just write this down. If you have an independent contractor agreement, do not include a non-compete provision in that agreement. It's like those two things are complete polar opposites and almost even just having a non-compete provision in agreement can almost invalidate the independent contractor agreement in and of itself. So people are, people copy agreements. They, they're, they're, they're not, a, they're not, they don't understand the risks or the implications of what they're signing. And then for me as a lawyer, I, I'm always there. They come up, they come into my email and I'm supposed to help people. I'm like, I can't help you with this, but, um, but just in summary, it's, it's a very, very, very real issue. And you're right that, and I saw one of your recent podcasts was like, you know, why your revenue doesn't mean anything, or it was, it was something like that. Why revenue is mm -hmm. not a good indication of wealth or something to that degree. Yep. And I think that yeah, that's yeah. such a good example. Like you could, you could be an online coach and be very profitable and have very high margins and spending your money or investing it or doing whatever it is that you want. But like if you're if if the found if the legal foundation of your business is not properly set up, all of that unfortunately is susceptible to being taken away from you. So it's just yeah, it's, it's important to talk about these things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, any other um, legal topics that you see affecting the online health and wellness space that we didn't touch on? I think those were really good examples. Um, the agreements, the three agreements that you or documents and agreements that you talked about, um, the employee versus 1099 topic. Is there anything I'm missing that it would be really important for online coaches to at least know about and understand as, as a, a legal risk? Yeah. The, the only thing we haven't really touched on would be trademarks okay. and the, the importance the importance of registering, uh, either your business name or a business slogan for what, whatever your brand is. I always tell clients, it's like the marriage test when you're married to it and you know that you're going to be with it. And that's what you're building everything around register the trademark. I've been through it mm -hmm. with so many clients where they've got a successful business, six figures. The issue with their business is not whether like not, where's my next client coming from? Like they've got, they're at other legal stage of, of problems and issues and they get a cease and desist letter that says, Hey, this is your business name. Here's our registered trademark you have to stop using this in the next 15 days. And like your Instagram page, your marketing, your branding, your website, everything's built off of that mark that may not be registered. So it's, it's such an important step that I think in all the things that we're talking about, if you're an online coach, like no one told you about the importance of a waiver of liability, which is why you and I are having this conversation, but it's the same with a trademark. Like no one tells you that you're really, it's not like you get a booklet when you decide to be an online coach and they're like, these are all the things that you have to do. But registering a trademark is really, really important because 
A, it gives you the peace of mind to know that you can continue using your mark in your way. But B, it, if someone else is copying you, you then have a, a, a firm legal position to enforce those rights that you have to say to someone like, hey, I've got this trademark, you're copying me. If you don't take this down in 10 days, I'm, you know, I reserve the right to come after you plus legal fees, plus damages, plus interest. And like, that's how you get someone to act quickly and resolve a problem. Cool. No, that's great advice. Um, do you, so the marriage test is a pretty good way to look at it. Do you see like a, is there like a, once like a revenue target or a, like, a, I'm just thinking like, obviously some coaches, they start and then they don't even stick with it, you know? And so I'm, I was just wondering, is there like a point where it's like, all right, now it makes sense. I guess the marriage test kind of answered that, but I was just wondering if you had a more like tactical strategy of like, all right, now's the time where you really need to make sure you have this in place. I'd say it's sort of like, imagine that you're a plane and you've like, your business is like an airplane. So you're on the tarmac, you're getting you're they're, they're jetting, they're putting you off. You take off, you're in the air, you climb and you're on, like, you're sort of on autopilot. Like, okay, cool. Like now we're on our way and we're mm -hmm. on the course. So like, if you're, if you're two weeks into it and you're super excited and you love it, but you don't, then maybe it doesn't make sense. But like, once you know, okay, this is my business and, and things are running and I have systems and I have revenue and to me, that that's a, a suitable time. Cool. I like that analogy. All right. Final two questions that I hit everyone with. Uh, what is the most emotional slash behavioral money decision that you've made? During the, uh, during the pandemic, I was living in a small Brazilian beach town of like 2000 people. There's no roads. There's no cars. There's no banks. It's like really idyllic paradise type place. And I decided to buy essentially like buy a small hotel. When oh. I was there, I was, I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm going to live here. I'm going to live in this place. I love it here. And it was like during the pandemic, there weren't tourists. It was like uh, uh, this whole Island paradise just for myself. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And the, also historically the Canadian dollar was doing very well against the Brazilian AI. So when I showed up to the town, it was like 2.5 to one. And at that point it was 4.4 to one. So I was almost buying it at, you'd know the percentage. I don't know what it was. Sure. And again, yeah, like impulsive, that. emotional, but it's actually, it, it's worked. So that was like, I think everybody thought I was crazy. Like the people in the town thought I was crazy. My parents thought I was crazy. Everyone thought I was crazy, but uh, it's worked out really well. The, the, the value has gone up. I've, uh, I've rented it out for a series of years and I'm able to use that money to, uh, to pay off the mortgage. But it was definitely a, an emotional decision when I, when I decided to do that. So. That that's the most unique answer I've heard uh, yet. I started asking this. I switched up the questions a couple months ago. Started asking this. I hear cars a lot. I've never heard bought a hotel. So that's awesome. <laughs> I'm glad it's working out for you. Uh, you know, sometimes those emotional behavioral decisions don't always end up poorly. Uh, a lot of times they can, uh, but sometimes they do pay off. And so I'm glad that's working for you. Uh, really cool answer. Uh, all right. You got a financial planner in front of you. What is one question you would have for a financial planner? How much money do I need to keep in my emergency fund? Ooh, good question. And, um, you know, it depends on, on everyone's unique situation as a business owner. If you're, um, the, the things to think about, I'm not going to give you an exact dollar amount. I'll just spoil you, uh, spoil the, the, 
spoiler alert, I'm not going to give you the exact dollar amount. Things you want to think about, you know, are you married? Are you single? Do you rely on one income or do you have backup income? As a business owner, I'll, I'll focus on that because that's most of the audience. Um, you probably need a little bit of a longer runway to withstand rocky um, times in the economy. So usually you're looking at anywhere from like three to nine months. Um, and it also depends on what type of assets and income you have outside of the business. If you're doing this part time, uh, maybe not as big of a deal. If this is your only income source and you don't have any other assets outside of the business, you should probably be leaning towards a longer emergency or longer runway. So a bigger emergency fund. And then also you need to think about what's your risk tolerance. You know, if you have a really high risk tolerance, maybe you don't keep as much, but you know that like shit could hit the fan and there's no backup there. If you have a really low risk tolerance and you can't sleep at night with the thought that like this could all just go away and poof, uh, then you need a longer runway. You need a bigger emergency fund to allow you to sleep at night. So you're not stressed about that. And that stress isn't impacting how you run the business from day to day. Cause you don't want to be in a situation where um, any little like hurdle or hiccup in the business and bringing clients in is um, incites panic. And, and that'll happen if, if you don't have enough money in that emergency fund. So um, all personal finance ans- uh, questions are answered with, it depends. <laughs> yeah, it it depends. I'm so happy you said it depends. One of, like, one of my best jokes that I'll say, I think it's funny. My clients don't always think it's funny, but I'll tell them <laughs> like, oh, there's, actually, there's, there's a course in law school that's called It Depends, where they mm-hmm. teach you as a lawyer how the answer to everything is it depends. So law and finance are connected and I'm happy to hear you say that. And that's an awesome answer. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let everyone know, Corey, where can they find more information on how to work with you, how to follow you on social media? Where can they find you? Yeah, our, our Instagram is Conscious Council. My email address is Corey at ConsciousCouncil.ca. And I'm sure in the show notes, we'll have some form of way to reach out. So hi, online coaches. And um, I hope this was helpful. Shoot me a note if you want to say hi, what's up? We can have a chat. I'm happy to meet everybody and keep doing the awesome work. Like I, I know... Because so many of my clients are online coaches. I know how many people they help and how big of a difference they make in the lives of their own communities. And so just keep going and follow your passion and make the world a better place. Corey, thanks so much for coming on. Truly appreciate you. Thanks, Justin. Cheers, dude. Did you enjoy the show? If so, don't forget to hit subscribe and leave us a review. And if you are interested in learning more, you can subscribe to The Monthly Assist, a newsletter where I share more information for fitness entrepreneurs and millennials. You can find the link in the show notes, or you can access the link in my Instagram bio, at Justin Green FP. Until next time, keep growing, my friends.